This is the podcast for June 1st, 2012. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from the heart of Amercia the Beautiful, it's the professional left with Drift Class and Blue Gal. Yeah, Romney's app misspells America because he outsourced it. Yeah. The typo, it happens. Everyone makes a mistake. But the context was yeah. so... Perfect. perfect. You really don't give a shit. This is this is what it looks like when a CEO who really only gives a shit about the bottom line and just outsources everything doesn't really check on the important details or the secondary details. Those are left to other people and and slops it all out. I assume that the 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 code for this was trivial and it got past three or four layers of editors because they just didn't notice it. If you've read my blog, you'll you'll know I occasionally make the spelling error, Blue Gal. Sure, but. This is what Mitt Romney's brain looks like. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is it, it begs the question of what does this particular CEO care about? Mm-hmm. And I will just say once again, I don't think he wants to be president. And, and it's ironic that it's exactly what we saw with Ted Kennedy in 1980, mm-hmm. which is, well, this is my destiny. Yeah. And this is what I've been told I'm to do my whole life is – this is this is going to fulfill something, whether it's religious or family or, you know, in the case of Kennedy, it was his family and fulfilling mm-hmm. the, the lost dream of his of his family tragedies and so forth. And with Romney, whether it's church or his wife wants him to do it or he lost last time and so it's his turn, there's the sense of I this is the manifest destiny of Mitt Romney to be the Republican nominee for president and – well, and, and, and I don't think he wants to win. What is he going to do? In you know, he, his plan for January is visionless, as he has admitted himself. I don't, don't do the vision thing. He doesn't well, have a plan for America, really. He, he doesn't really have to have one. Well, um, yeah, we've his, talked about that. Yeah, his, I, I mean, this you could also throw George H. W. Bush into the mix. Why yeah. did George H. W. Bush run for president? Because it was the next box on the resume. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was the next thing, and and being president is the next thing for Romney. Yeah. In the very very small, very elite circles in which he runs, being the president or being a senator or being a Supreme Court judge or being a whatever is one of the things you do or, or run at uh, in that universe. And he's doing the thing he is supposed to do next. And I, I don't know that he doesn't want to be president because I'm actually of two minds about this. One part of me says he wants to be president. He just has no clue how to relate to humans. Mm-hmm. He really is that completely removed from nor- normal human experience by his wealth and by his experience. Because his experience is he arrives, he glad hands, he gets in with the head of the company um, and a couple, maybe one one layer down in the management. That's about it. He brings in his hitters. They strip the place. They fire a bunch of people whose names he never has to worry about or remember. Right. And in the meantime, he's totally affable. Yeah. He pockets all of those top people. Yeah. Well, and those top people probably kept their jobs. They, they, or they got the golden parachute. Sure. sure. I mean, they, they, he went in and told this, believe me, I, I, I have worked at these companies too, that the top tier people who were in a couple of cases phenomenally incompetent. Mm -hmm. Who were who if if they hadn't been somebody's brother-in-law or or in one case, I think did share a hooker with somebody in 1982 because <laughs> um, that's how the company was run. Yeah, its corporate culture was that. Um, 
would never have been allowed anywhere near a decision-making capacity. But he was a very, very high up in the organization, an organization that was teetering badly and falling apart because of the horribly bad decisions of upper management. So what did upper management do? They brought in these people who wormed their way through the organization, um, stormed through, destroyed opposition, and took a tiny elite coterie at the top and said, essentially – we will make sure to protect your jobs. We will find places. That was part of the deal. Yeah. That was the part yeah. of the deal. In exchange for which, you will let us just run naked through your organization. We'll plunder the place. All of your IT people gone. Be replaced with our IT people consultants. Your uh, that that office on the fourth floor. That's now our Chicago office or our let's say suburban Chicago office for our organization. And they all agreed to it because it protected them personally. And that's what Romney's used to. He's used to that culture. And the people he deals with are sucking up to him big time. Because if he's inside your shop, that's the angel of death, man. Yeah. yeah. And, and so you better suck up to him. So he's used to dealing with those people, or and, but doesn't know how to deal with human beings. You know, the, the 99% of the people whose, whose predations his, his, uh, his business model has ruined. And, or, and and I think we have to argue that he he wants to do to American government what he's done at Bain. Mm-hmm. He wants to raid the government yeah. and give it to the oil executives and the defense contractors. It's and it's already part. been started. The groundwork's been laid by George W. Bush and Cheney. Oh. And now we're going to bring in a professional. And it, it just sickens every, me. Every every bag of money the government has will be privatized, mm-hmm. will be looted, will be diverted, will be invested at a uh, a great rate of return. Mm-hmm. And the lessons that the 401k generation learned about, oh my God, <laughs> I was looking forward to retirement, but because they told me the stock market would go up forever. It would never fail. It would never falter. And, and, my, and my particular investments would be there forever. And that never happened. Yeah. Um, or, but, but that's of two minds. The second mind is he really doesn't want to be president. Yeah. Um, and the counter argument to that is the standard political operative discussion, the, the political campaign advisor, you know, nobody gets into this thing unless they have a fire in their belly. Nobody gets into this job. Nobody gets into the fight for a president unless they have a burning desire. But in the last, I don't know, Blue Gale, in the last eight to 10 years or 12 years, um, I have seen so many of those pieces of electoral wisdom go out the door. So many things that everybody, all those smart people and all those political insiders who, who tell you will never, ever, ever, ever happen have happened that I, I kind of think it's possible that, that Romney doesn't want to be president or he wants to win it in a way that makes, is amenable to him. And the way that's amenable to him is my consultants will go forth. They will carve it up. They will they will deliver it to me on a silver platter because that's how I get things in this life. The way I achieve things is my paid minions go forth and bring them to me. And that's what his campaign is all about. And if you look at the amount of money that both his campaign and super PACs are about to spend, that's that could very well be the story of this election. In this election, super PACs, Republican super PACs are set up to, to spend, I think, a billion dollars. Yeah, it's, it's going to be that much. And that's, that is absolutely, that is not 
candidate money. In, well, that's the that's, scary part for the it's candidates. Totally anonymous. You know, yeah, you they were talking about ad. that earlier today. That the candidates have nothing to say about how this money's spent at all. Well, and you could run. You could spend a hundred million dollars running ads that Mitt Romney is a noted child molester. Yeah. And you you shovel your money through a PO box, um, and you pay it out to a media company that doesn't have a conscience. And there's plenty of them out there. And you just bomb the crap out of whatever part of the country you want to. I mean, this is this is the whisper campaign. Well, th- of- and, and it's much more likely that it would be an ad that Barack Obama is a child molester, oh, and, that, and that Fox and Friends, as they did today, would run four minutes of that ad on their show as news. in the interest of covering it. Yes, yes. Well, and one of the things that killed um, McCain's candidacy in 2000 exactly. was the notorious whisper campaign. Mm-hmm. Run against him in South Carolina. I think right. that's right. Right. Um, about his, how about his black baby? How about his Ill, illegitimate black baby? You know, and it that had, out that, it was an, it's an adopted child that an adopted they child. dearly well, loved. Yeah. But it was a bunch of push polling. And how would you feel if you found out that John McCain had an illegitimate black baby? And um, then there's a picture of him on the stage with his wife and his adopted child. Very yeah. beloved adopted child. Which is a, we, who which happens is, to have brown know, skin. One of those things where yeah. how, how, you know, how, frankly, I don't like John McCain very much, but how much more humane and adorable is him and his wife with their adopted child? Yeah. I mean, that's just right. about as basically lovely as you're going to get in a politician. Yep. And, and Karl Rove turned that into something dirty and shoved it up his ass yep. and won the, and won that state and broke for George it, W. Bush. Or George yep. W. Bush. Cause he, he, cause he is a protege of, of Lee Atwater, as was George W. Bush. And that's how they do that. Now, take that mentality of let's find the, the, the sweetest aspect of your personality and turn it into something horrifying and put a billion dollars, billion dollars of anonymous money under that so that you'll never know where it came from. You can never prove a thing. Was it a Saudi prince? Who knows? Well, and, and let's make it a black president. Mm-hmm. And let's – yeah, I mean so that we really don't even need the whistle to be silent anymore. Oh no! And Donald Trump can be the biggest buffoon in public life, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, because it's money. And and it really and that's this why is, they call it money. <laughs> exactly. And this this is in a sense this is a replay of the 2004 campaign in the following way: you have Romney um, running the Karl Rove strategy of 50 plus one. Yep. And he said it's, he said as much yesterday. He said it we're, actually we're said recording that. Wednesday night, and he said is, I need. 50% plus one. He said I don't, that on the plane. I'm not interested, basically, I'm not interested in governing America. I'm yeah. interested in, in drilling so deep into the sewers. I, however however deep I have to go into American political sewers, I will go to get half the electorate plus one vote, and then I get to be president. Mm-hmm. And that's what Rove did. It was like, no, no, we're going to run these anti-gay um, referenda mm-hmm. uh, on all these ballots out there that will drive the, the homophobes to the, to the polls just in time to vote for George W. Bush. And it was just vicious and awful and hateful and swift voting. And it worked. Absolutely worked. And so now you have, in addition to in addition to a billion dollars of anonymous money and a long pedigree on the right of, of absolute filthy, racist, bomb-throwing, um, fascist bullshit, just, yep. just disgusting behavior. Now it's all anonymous, and now we have a black president. Yeah. So... You know, release the Kraken, baby, because this it. is that's it. 
It's, well, you it's, know, you've mentioned George W. Bush a couple times. Yeah, well, I'm and, apparently the only one. I, I have yeah. the Republican. Of the 60 million of them that voted for him to be reelected, I have yet to meet one that voted for him, which is weird. But then again, well, I live in a strange we, part of the country. We got a letter from one of our listeners who's a, a consistent and uh, very dependable supporter of our podcast, and mm-hmm. I want to thank him for that. And uh, he wrote us a very nice note and also sent us a carbon copy of a letter <laughs> That he wrote to President and Mrs. George W. Bush because they had written to him from Dallas asking for his support for the George W. Bush Presidential Library. Yeah. Now, how he got, he does not know how he got on that list, Mm -hmm. that mailing list, but he did feel compelled to reply. And he sent us a copy, and uh, this being the podcast that it is, of course, we want to share it with all of you. Yes. Dear Mr. President and Mrs. Bush, thank you for your letters. And he says letters plural. I am so honored to be receiving mail from the both of you. You ask for money for the President George W. Bush Presidential Center. Well, that is a little embarrassing, since I think that the George W. Bush Presidential Administration was an incredibly epic, historically catastrophic disaster for this country and from which we will be suffering for decades to come. However, all is not lost. It would <laughs> always, seem, <laughs> always looking on the bright side. Yeah. It would seem that the criminal incompetence of the Bush administration is already slipping down the memory hole. And so soon. Why else would that corrupt war criminal Cheney and his lying offspring be brought on TV and treated like an elder statesman? And why on earth would people vote for extremist batshit crazy? Please excuse my language, but really there is no other way to express it. Report, excuse me, Republican corporate shills into power in the U.S. House and several state houses across the country. The only possible explanation is that the country is suffering from a collective bout of amnesia. Mm -hmm. So if you could assure me that the President George W. Bush Presidential Center would be dedicated to educating the public that voting for those who, like President Bush, hold to a far-right extremist ideology and only want to push the agenda of their corporate cronies can only lead to disaster for the country we love, then maybe I could donate something. Otherwise, just call up the Koch brothers, Bob Perry and their friends. They did the. They did finance the original disaster. I'm sure they have enough left over to finance the memorial. Oh, sincerely lovely. yours. Lovely, yeah. Very good letter, and yeah. and we appreciate it so much. We appreciate the letters that you send us, uh, both by email and by snail mail. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does bring up two important issues. Uh, the first issue, to my mind, when I read that letter, was wow. You know, is it easier to be out of power? And be lobbying uh, bombs at the other side when they have the responsibility for everything. Mm-hmm. I have often said that we bloggers had a much easier time of it when we could type "fuck you, George Bush," and everyone would agree with us. And it wasn't, you know, the nuances of the Pumas versus the Glenn Greenwaldites versus the Obama bots, as we are called, <laughs> which I laugh every time I hear that. Um, you know, it's a lot easier when we can all unite against something. And one of the other problems, it seems to me, is that 
we're getting to the point where saying that, saying, no, you know, what would be much easier is to just give the country to Romney. Mm-hmm. And we go back to fighting them from that standpoint of power mm-hmm. is we're getting to the point where the future of the planet is at stake. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're at that point. It's, and it's not just even the future of the nation. We're talking about whether or not the earth is going to be sustainable for another hundred years, a hundred mm-hmm. years. And I, I have to hat tip Douglas Adams and tell everyone to take a drink. <laughs> Because the planet is running out of fish, literally. And as I wrote in our podcast, notes, I'm expecting the dolphins to hitch a ride off planet Earth any day now. <laughs> so long. So then, and then the other issue that you brought up earlier in this podcast, which is, does anyone really want to govern anymore? Mm-hmm. And I'm curious about that question. What is governing? Whether whether Mitt Romney wants to be president or not, in in some ways, is totally beside the point. Because once he's president, is he going to govern, or is he just going to start selling off parts? Well, the people have made a, a fairly large deal of the fact that um, compromise is a dirty word. Mm-hmm. And my God, how can you have a, a democratic government without compromise? Even even my God, even Alan Simpson realizes this, <laughs> and, he's, and he's crazy. Um, <laughs> Except when you move past the word compromise, you get to the word govern, and they hate government. Yeah. So we have a very uh, lovely, uh, used to be reasonably well-balanced system of checks and balances that would prevent – was designed, as everyone knows, to prevent things from running off too fast, from pre- preventing crazy people from doing crazy things without lots and lots of checks and counterchecks and you didn't cross your – and dot your eyes, so no, you can't have it. And that's how the system is supposed to work. I think there are no, a number of people. I think Barack Obama really wants to govern this country. Um, I think he got into office under Rahm Emanuel's. He, he he came into office, and he might still believe this in his heart. He might just be putting on a show for us liberals, and that's certainly a possibility. And so forth. But I, I read this headline last week about Rahm Emanuel suddenly discovering that Republicans are you know, irrational sons of bitches who won't compromise about anything because now he runs a major city yeah. and they're fucking with his federal funding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my God, you can't compromise with these people. And I just, you know, I just want to slap him. Yeah. Because, yeah, you're right, Rom. That's what liberals were saying 20 years ago. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and yes, and Howard Dean was right about that too. He was right about the 50 state strategy. He's right about that too. So yes, it's great. Rahm Emanuel finally has learned about Republicans. Republicans are obstructionist assholes. He finally, finally got through his fucking head that, yes, that's who they are. This isn't this byproduct. This isn't a bug. It's a feature because they hate government. Government needs to be stopped at all costs. Well, and that's the thing that drives me crazy a little bit about a show that you and I both love and can't get through the weekend without, which is Up With Chris Hayes, where he seems obsessed these days with, do Republicans believe their own BS? Yeah. And it's like, Wait a minute. Have you seen the state houses lately? Have you seen what's happening in at these local level governments where they are actually dismantling the safety net yeah. and giving tax cuts to millionaires within the state and corporations? This is not well, you know, I wonder if they really believe it. Well, I, I don't know that I don't know that they believe it will make the world a better place. But they believe that 
as Republicans, it is their destiny to strip this country of all forms of government and turn it over to corporations yes. or the church, yes. whichever right. side of that fence you're on. But they both have a mutual enemy, and that's democratic government. Yeah. And yeah. and so I think you have someone like Obama who who really who who arrived at the White House in the in the a cloud of delusion that he could actually treat Republicans like something other than the than the viruses that they are that that, that the that the pests um, the retroviruses I meant to say that they are they attack our immune system they're yeah. in the government trying to destroy the government. And that's what a, retro, a retrovirus does to the body. And it makes everything else, all other infections can now invade. And they are inside the government trying to wreck it. And it turns out, um, you know, the Bush tax cuts passed with what? 51 Fif- votes. 51 votes. And, and every yet- millionaire in the Senate, Democrat and Republican, voted for that. Every millionaire well, in the Senate. Um, it was it was a fairly straight party line vote. Mm-hmm. But Kerry voted for it. Yeah, and and it, but it required, but it required a tie-breaking vote in the Senate because those many years ago, Blue Gal, back in the early Devonian era, <laughs> um, apparently you could you could win a vote in the Senate with fifty-one votes. Fifty-one votes, and then you in, in the blink of an eye, David Gregory now just says casually, well, "It takes yeah. sixty votes." It takes 60 no, votes, it doesn't. Yeah. It takes fifty-one votes if. The opposition is not willing to filibuster everything, but yeah. it's oh, you know, when they're in power, it's fifty-one votes will do. When they're out of power, oh, we no. Since we're righteous and right, and the other side are, are monsters and devils, it is perfectly legitimate to, to block everything they're trying to do. Well, and the filibuster isn't stay up all night long talking no. because they're all too old to do that. So and they stipulate. They just stipulate and walk home and watch, you know, Matlock or Wapner or whatever they're watching. And go home to watch their basketball games that they've announced on the floor of the Senate. I'm going to miss my basketball game because, mm-hmm. you know, you guys are talking too long. And if they can't do their job, then well, they need the, to retire. Well, that's the question, isn't and it? And that's that, the question. That At, is or, the or we need a constitutional amendment abolishing the Senate. And I want to go that far to push the issue in very black and white terms that all the pig people can understand mm-hmm. that – this institution is broken beyond fixing unless mm-hmm. they decide to fix it. Well, and, and all of those institutional safeguards mm-hmm. that were set up to prevent the majority from running amok. Yep, yep. It turns out. The minority you, can run amok. <laughs> yeah, it turns out if you're in the minority and if you if your goal is to destroy the government of the United States, and you have no conscience, yeah, and you have absolutely no, con- and you have an ideological framework that that rewards you. You have a base of tea baggers, and by the way, let's repeat: there is no Tea Party. There's right. no such thing. There's a bunch of Republicans in funny hats who are desperately trying to help you to make the country forget the fact that they fucked everything up in their entire life. They don't want to be held accountable for the Bush administration. They don't want to be held accountable for the Reagan administration. They don't want to be the party of personal responsibility, not no. them. Mm-mm. They don't. They don't want Justice yeah. Sundays. They don't want any of that shit anymore. All the shit that they said they believed for the last thirty years, they are now disavowing at the speed of light. And to do that, they had to come up with the gag, and the gag is Tea Party. And and Tea Party fooled. Let's see. Phil Ponce, news guy in Chicago, a bunch of people on the news, and nobody else. Liberals certainly knew what the fuck was going on. Republicans knew what the fuck was going on. All these, all these old, bloated, um, white men. Um, turned out they, they're all Republicans. Dick Army, oh Dick Army knew exactly what he was doing. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and so did and, everyone on Fox News. And Absolutely. the planning for that took place, what, 14 days before the inauguration? Oh. And the, the um, if not the act- if not longer before that, you know, Michelle Malkin had a book out about the intransparency of the Obama administration in what March. Yeah. What well, is I- a publishing calendar like? I'm expecting she started the contract for that book in September, before you know, three months before the election. Well, and, and the uh, the actual strategy of, of obstruct everything mm-hmm. um, was worked out with Frank Luntz on inauguration day. Yeah, yep, it was correctly. that early. So yeah. it was, it was, there was, they were never going to give him a chance. Yeah. And he walked into this bear trap that any liberal could have told him was there. But Barack Obama and his cohort of centrists and corporate friendly guys didn't want to believe. They, they were different. They were, they were completely different. They weren't, and we're going to change those. Washington. Yeah. We're, we're going to change, change Washington. Washington with collegiality and, mm-hmm. yeah. And they ate him alive. Yeah. And he sold out a whole lot of things cheaply. Because he thought he could get more important things in return, and they told him to go fuck himself every time. And at some point, again, like Rahm Emanuel, he got it, he, he got it in his head. Oh, these fuckers are crazy! And now that we have this Democrat, now that we we have we have saboteurs occupying a Democrat, the minority position in the Democratic government. It turns out, if you want to destroy the government and you're in the minority, you can take advantage of all these. Um, rules and conventions and niceties and collegial understandings and handshake deals to bring the government to its fucking knees every time. And Republicans have, have shown absolutely no hesitation to do this every single time. They will, if they can find any place on a, on a piece of high ground to, to, to take the government hostage, they'll do it. They just don't, because they, they don't want to govern. They want to get rid of government. And it turned out with George Bush that, that the White House was a terrible place to do that from. Yeah, yeah, and and so because it was it was too there's too I, much power there, and why well, would you want to give up that? Yeah. It's too focused. I mean, people yeah. could look at George Bush and see and Dick Cheney and see what awful awful people they were, and and their every fuck up was national news. But yeah. if you if yeah. you if you sort of if you diffuse that and you simply a- allocate Republican perfidy and treason among thirty governors and um, and dilute it. They have 43 yep. senators and 250 congressmen. Why? Why you can you can bring the whole place down like a, like a horde of marapunta, like mm-hmm. a horde of termites. A little a nibble here, a little nibble there. A Koch brother takeover in Wisconsin. Um, yep. Let's fuck up California some more. Let's you can franchise voters in Florida. Yeah, and you can even start so many fires. Yep, in so many places. Yep. Because if your job is to commit arson, it's really easy. Yeah. In and a tinder dry country, all you gotta do is run around flicking matches in every direction. Yep. And if you have Coke brother there giving you gasoline, it's even easier. Liberals have the hard problem. We have the hard, we have, we have a hard job. We're just putting those fires out. While we're trying to actually build institutions to help the sick and the poor, reduce hunger, et cetera, et cetera, build a decent education system for everybody, build a decent economy for everybody. Republicans, all they have to do, as I've said a million times before, is heave cinder blocks into traffic yep. and they found billionaires and anonymous sources of money that will fund them in their quest to destroy the american government and that's a huge story that's the thing that freaks me out this is a really huge story there's this cult inside inside of the largest democracy in the world or the most uh prosperous democracy or the oldest democracy or none of those things but this really important democracy with this really good brand there's this cult inside of it that's getting away with destroying it and it's not news. And it's our job to stop them. 
Yes. And we can do it. Yes, we can. That's the, that's the thing I want. I, I never want to end these podcasts on a hopeless note because oh, we can do it. Blue gal, you never want to end these podcasts, period. I don't want, I never want to do it, even when it's after 11 o'clock at night on <laughs> the night before the last day of school. And we're both exhausted. And speaking of school, mm-hmm. uh, the MIT fail on education. I want to talk about this a little bit because I have yeah. talked about it before. And there's just some points that are being missed. Uh, you know, Mitt Romney did a major fail on his. Uh, education plan launched this week by going to a charter school and saying larger class sizes ain't so bad yeah. to a bunch of African Americans, <laughs> and uh, and angered all the wrong people. And uh, you know that's his problem. And again, I don't know whether it's because he doesn't want to be president or because he just doesn't get it, or he's a robot, or what the problem is with him. But. Uh, we can only hope that enough people recognize the problem with him and uh, that he loses this election as grandly as we hope he will. But I wanted to add uh, some personal notes about charter schools mm-hmm. uh, because two of my children attend – two of our children attend charter school and the third one attends a magnet school. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't apologize for that <laughs> at all. Um the charter school here in Springfield is primarily funded by a single family foundation. They renew our charter every few years. It is part of the district. The district teachers are union teachers. Mm-hmm. The, it runs on a slightly longer calendar year than the rest of the district. And That's- they demand parent, parental involvement mm-hmm. as a condition of having your child at the school. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that those criteria make for such a difference in the quality of education that the students get at that school compared to some other schools in the district, schools that my children have attended. Mm-hmm. And I, I stress this over and over again here, here in the community, which is if you require of parents – that they fill out one extra piece of paper to get their kids into a different school. I mean, my kids are bust. This school is physically located in a black neighborhood. Mm-hmm. My children are bust there. It is, I would say, very close to being majority minority students. It's not majority black, but if you add the Asians and you add other uh, non-white groups, I, it's very close to being, it's certainly 50% minority Mm-hmm. Um, students. There's pictures of Barack Obama all over the place <laughs> in that school. You will, you would, uh, you get a little sick of it. It becomes kind of a joke when you turn. The there's also some blue gal artwork one. all over that school. There's some blue gal artwork all over that school. I've done some photoshops of their school mascot for posters for the school, and you walk around like, oh yeah, I did that. My kids walk around. My mom made that. Yeah, but it is not a privatization. First of all. Mm-hmm. It wasn't set up to bust the unions. And it wasn't set up to bust the unions or fix some mayor's problem mm-hmm. with the school district. It was set up to sh- to experiment and to show that parental involvement and a slightly longer school year has good outcomes. Mm-hmm. And it's proven that. Mm-hmm. But anytime you they have filtered out the parents who don't give a rat's behind about education for their kids or have some other barrier to filling out one extra piece of paper mm-hmm. to 
and and it is it's lottery, but you know my special needs kid got in within six months, and my the sibling that I wanted to have go there got in right away. So the siblings just get in, so it's not this high stakes wait in the gym panic attack. You know my yeah. child will never get into this school kind oh, of thing. There's nothing about this school that you couldn't. You couldn't put, you couldn't apply to any other school. You could replicate this all over the district if you really, mm-hmm. uh, to, up to a point, mm-hmm. you could. Um, and then there's this, the story of the magnet school. My uh, Our middle child goes to a gifted magnet school. And I have all kinds of problems with gifted magnet schools. I've been in, I was in gifted programs as a kid. You were in experimental. Disastrously. Disastrously awful. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Directionless. Gifted programs. This this magnet school is terrific. I love it. I love the, again, very high parental involvement with mm-hmm. with when your child is chosen to attend a uh, a school for gifted kids. Uh, very intense parents there. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, um, I really felt for the school that this child left. We we knew that this middle child had all kinds of abilities. We asked at a parent-teacher conference, you know, can we get her into gifted programming? And they all looked at me and said, well, we don't have a gifted program here at this elementary school. The gifted kids go to the gifted magnet school. And they checked her test scores, and she was really like two point, two percentage points below the cutoff to to automatically be sent the paperwork on this magnet school. Mm-hmm. And her teacher recommended her, and I recommended her, and, and there were, it was very easy to get her transferred, but they hadn't told me about it because they, because they didn't want to lose her, because mm-hmm. No Child Left Behind averages the scores out of the kids and judges the school based on test scores. Mm-hmm. And when you've got someone that's almost at at ready to be pulled out and sent over to the magnet school, you want to cling to those kids. Lisa Simpson. It's Lisa Simpson. She's going to mm-hmm. raise your scores and mm-hmm. make your school look better. And it it was a tragedy for them to lose our kid. Mm-hmm. And of course, as a parent, I want the best educational outcome for my child, and I'm going to be very selfish about that and put her in the highest possible, most challenging environment she can be in. And she loves it there, and that's the way it's going to be. I'm not going to save, save society on the back of my child. But I do feel for the school that's trying very hard and being judged on aggregate test scores, yet the cream of the crop is being just cut yeah. right off. Well, and that, that is every social program in existence Yeah, yeah. that has a, has a number. Mm-hmm. Creams, every one. Every yep. everybody who has to get X number of bodies to right. this when level, right? When you're talking about job placement, right? Yeah, anything. Um, yep. Schools, training programs, job placements, summer programs, whatever they are. If if they're if your program is mandated by its charter, by its contract, to get 140 people to X, Y, or Z, or a thousand people to X, Y, or Z, you're going to find in the pool of available applicants who are wherever they are, whatever they are. The thousand most likely, yeah. or at least several hundred most likely, 
Usually, you know, most people I know who work in social services, uh, who work to improve the lot of the human race mm-hmm. at the ground level, mm-hmm. uh, people who work in schools, people who work in, in job placement agencies and things like that, really do kind of believe in the mission. Oh, yeah, but they, they have to triage. They absolutely they, have to triage. Who can I save mm-hmm. and really make a difference? Who's going mm-hmm. to be saved no matter what I do? Exactly. And, and, and who has have, to be left behind because I can't help them. I can't help them. And, or, and or this is where or, I think our, our political situation and the educational situation dovetail, which is in the political situation, you're never allowed to blame voters. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I blame voters for electing Republican legislators and then being shocked yeah. that they're defunding Planned Parenthood and cutting off voting rights for seniors. I blame the voter for that. Now, I'm allowed to do that because I'm a liberal and I'm not, never going to run for office. Politicians and the press are not allowed to blame the voters for anything. Mm-hmm. And this is also the difference between governing and outsourcing. Yeah. And in, it, in, yeah, in education, we're not allowed to blame parents. If you're an educator, you're not allowed to say, no, you, the parents in my district suck. Mm-hmm. And they may have all kinds of problems that are social problems that are not personally their fault. Mm-hmm. They may have poverty or hunger or, you know, discipline issues or, you know, just just poverty, period. That's That says it all, that word. Um, but I know, having been in, in the this, this situation of being in the public school before my children were put in these other settings, uh, a lot of the parents, not all, but a lot of the parents simply weren't ready to be parents. They were too young. Mm-hmm. Or they were too disconnected from reality by drugs or by poverty or being raised by a very elderly grandmother the kids were you know there were real situations where you're not saying fault in this situation but there was a massive issues were the problem for the schools there was some massive lack in the parents universe maybe it was them maybe it was their circumstance and that got, got translated into a child who was unprepared to go to school and every day had no support at home yep and that all that school could do, I'm going to use two $10 words in a row. Or oh, no. All the school could do was ameliorate deficiencies. Mm-hmm. That's all they could do. They could uh, reduce hunger by providing free meals. They could provide positive reinforcement. And, and this school that my kids left did an amazing job. They had a system in place that every day at the end of the day, the troubled kids, that the at-risk kids that had – behaved all day, got a party every day, every single day, Mm -hmm. got a party in the hallways for behaving all day long. Five days a week, they got Mm -hmm. a pat on the back from the principal and a high five and a, you know, a pencil or a bookmark or a, you know, just, just for behaving for seven hours every single day. You know, and I I can hear in my head imaginary um, people who disagree with this approach that giving giving children that kind of um, um, self assurance, or it's not self assurance, but giving them that inflated sense of self worth, yep. um, is going to come back to haunt them because they're going to get out in that tough real world, there, blue gal, and you won't have a party every day. That a child like, that no, has no, zero positive reinforcement at home. Exactly, you missed and, the point. Yeah, the way you get to the, the citizen, a young citizen who can go out into that real world and and find their way is you have a balance of punishment and reward. You have a balance of 
you were bad, so I'm taking this privilege or this thing away from mm-hmm. you, or I'm, I'm in some other way disciplining you. And you have some reward for good behavior. Not lavish, but something. And if you have kids who have never been rewarded for anything, yep. the, you have to go to the baseline. You have to go right back to the baseline and say, we need to reward you for being good during the day. Yep. And and that's the best we can do, so that's what we will do. Yep. And but this and for those at risk kids, drift class. You know, I am not going to cry in this podcast. No. I am not going to cry. Well, <laughs> but I am going to say that for a lot of kids around this country, school is the safest and most stable place. Absolutely, they are all their whole lives. Mm-hmm. And I totally pray for kids that have a summer ahead of them starting tomorrow with nothing. Yeah. Without that, it just it devastates well, me. It just and, devastates me. And there are things. There really are things that can be done, simple things that can be done. Mm-hmm. Because this is the difference between, as I let me repeat, governing and outsourcing. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at a cost-benefit analysis of that situation, Blue Gal, fuck it, cut them all loose. Yeah. They'll save a ton of money. Yeah. You know, they're never going to amount to anything anyway. Just let them burn. It's not my problem. I'm wasting the tax. I don't care what you do as long as I don't have to pay for it. Yeah. I, I'm wasting the tax money of, of job creators, Blue Gal, yeah, on these losers yeah. whose kids are never going to amount to anything anyway. So fuck them. That's one approach to governing, I suppose. That's the, broadly speaking, the Republican approach to governing. And the liberal approach, I, I've never yet met the mythical liberal who thought everybody could be saved. No. Who thought it was a practical proposition that every single person could possibly be saved because the world is just too complicated and too mean and entropy runs in one direction and death comes to us all. Okay, bad things happen to good people. Got that. But there are things you can do if you're interested in governing to make the lives of those children better, make their education better, improve their situation. This is not a case of the problem not being fixable. This is a case of people who people who are serious about fixing it are people who are serious about government. Well, and I think people that are serious about democracy and equal opportunity need to be included in this conversation. Yeah, I've talked during this podcast about making sure that my children have a superior education, the the highest education they can have within my public school district. Mm-hmm. All three of my kids have free lunch. Mm-hmm. I don't pay a dime to send my kids to these specialized schools, but I've made an effort as a parent to make sure they're there and they're prepared and that I'm involved. Everybody in the offices at my schools mm-hmm. knows who I am, uh-huh. and I make that effort, but I'm poor, and I don't pretend that I can afford private schools for my kids, charter schools where I have to pay extra fees. And and this is something that Mitt Romney really doesn't get when he says, you know, larger class sizes, that might not be so bad. Because he has sat in a larger class size where everybody's parent is wealthy mm-hmm. and involved and has privilege beyond anything that he he can't comprehend below that. Mm-hmm. Well, who were creamed. Yeah, they no, were already got- They've already gone up so many levels that, you know, it, they are that triage that no matter what you do, you better succeed. If you fail, yeah. you're just you're just a miserable person because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, you've you've had so many privileges thrown at you that you just need to sit down and shut up. We're, now, we're, 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 let you fail. Yeah. yeah, there's no way you're going to fail. 
And we kind of have to end there. But I did want to say, you know, the opportunities for my kids didn't come from me having wealth or from me having privilege. It came from me being involved. And when that's the division line, I mean, I think we have to help. We have to try it. We do have to try it. As you said, everybody who believes in making this world a better place still has to try it. There are some parents who are never going to help their kids succeed. You have to do what you can to ameliorate that. But Mm -hmm. it's the parents' problem that Mm. they're stoned all the time or they're poor all the time or sometimes that's their problem. And you've got to help the kid. And if you're... But you can't make this you can't make this a door that opens only to people who have wealth handed to them. And this is again, this is the difference between governing and running a country like a CEO. Yeah. Because government, Mitt Romney's background was always, I will not get involved in a situation unless I can turn a profit. Yeah. And whatever I have to do. I might save a company. I might slaughter a company. I might throw a lot of good people out of work. If that's if that is the if but I'm always going to screw the union. <laughs> I'm always going to screw the union. I'm always going to make money. Yeah. Well, fine. That's how you think when you are a corporate raider. I get yeah. that. If you're interested in governing, remember we have one party in this country that doesn't believe in government. Yep. And that's as long the as they, they exist, yeah. we have a real serious problem because all of the things that we've talked about on, on all of our podcasts, Blue Gal, these are fixable problems. I'd yes. be tremendous. I'd be suicidal if I thought they were unsolvable. Yep. They might not be solvable in my lifetime, some of them, but they're solvable problems. The, but the problem with governing is you have to have serious people, intelligent people, making trade-offs and compromises and sitting through long-ass boring statistical presentations and making hard decisions that affect real people and feeling it in your heart every time you go to bed at night and waking up in the morning and praying to God you made the right decision. That's what governing looks like. And the problem we have is in this country is not left and right. It's we have a group of people who don't believe in government, and they're hell-bent on destroying the possibility of those of us who do believe in government from ever being able to enact anything like government in this country. And that's the problem. That's why I go – that's why I'm so obsessed with – and I think that's the right word – not the right, but with the center, yeah. the people who keep – forgiving them for doing that the people who keep excusing them because there's always some liberal out there who's just as bad no the problem with this country is the republican party as long as they're permitted to lob cinder blocks off of history's overpass we're going to be going downhill at at hellacious speeds and every time another thing flies off our national vehicle off the ship of state every every time we lose another city or we have another catastrophe or some god you know, preventable disaster happens to us, they'll point to it. They'll point to the disaster they made, like the meltdown of the global economy, and say, see, see? Government's Rich. evil. Government's wrong. Government can't do anything. See? See? And yeah. and they have to go. They're the problem. And that's why whatever whoever stands in opposition to them, um, I, will, I will lend a friendly ear to them. I want to end this podcast by reaching out to a fellow podcast that I discovered this week. Uh, thanks to an email from the podcasters themselves, they reached out to us and said, we're, fan- we're fans of your show. We'd like you to listen to ours. And uh, it, they are Australian expats. Uh, they're on what they call the Bill Show. The Bill uh, Show, yeah. Two Bills. Two Bills uh, from Australia. 
uh, Aussie, Aussie, ex- Aussie. Expats Americans, and the, the show is called The Bill Show This Week in Politics. It is at The Bill Show on XPR, all one word, The Bill Show on XPR.blog.com. And they have a picture up at their blog uh, that uh, I want to I read the caption to it. It says, If aliens came and poisoned half our rivers and wiped out one wild species in ten and dismantled entire mountains and laced agricultural lands with poisons and put cancerous materials into children's toys and torched and hacked down our forests and radically changed our atmosphere. If aliens came and did all that, would we get the Supreme Court to declare them persons and give them all our money? (laughs) Or would we mobilize to stop them? And that's what this is about. This is about, this isn't about dismantling corporations forever and no corporations and no business and we hate business. This is about stopping the excesses of capitalism, which is what government has always done. That's its job. That's the government's job is to tell them they can't go this far. Governments create markets by regulating them. And governments control capitalism by telling capitalists what they cannot do. And like water, they will forever try to find a way around it because that's what they do. It's not a matter of – you know, capitalism doesn't have a conscience. Which is why capitalism has tried for the past 30 years to tell us that government can't do anything Mm -hmm. because then they can't be stopped. Which is why if there were smart aliens, Ah. they would get a really good PR firm (laughs) – and an would hire Frank Luntz. Exactly. <laughs> and they'd figure out how to convince a small but vocal minority, probably the same people who gave to the Heartland Alliance. That someone's uh, trying to take away their their non-government Medicare. <laughs> honey, this isn't about aliens. This is about freedom. Uh-huh. You know? Because freedom, I mean, yes. And you know what? They, they can be stopped, but so can we, and we have to stop now. Okay. Oh, it's getting very late, and we love yeah. you guys. Mm-hmm, you can listen to our tired. podcast for free at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com. At our Facebook page, I'm Francis Langham on Facebook. Um, I put up a link at our Facebook page to uh, both The Bill Show and also to the Summer Lunch Program. It turns out that the federal government funds in low-income communities uh, free lunches for children under the age of 18 – in the summer, and uh, part of the problem is they don't provide the, – the program doesn't provide transportation to the schools, so that's going to miss a part of the population that gets bused to school every day. But it is available. There is food available for kids in the summer, breakfast and lunch in our community. So uh, look that up and spread the word about that if you can in, on your Facebook page for people in your community who might need it. We are on iTunes and through our fabulous app available at the iTunes store on the amazing Stitcher Radio. We are on Netroots Radio from 6 to 7 Pacific and 9 to 10 Eastern. There's a lot going on over there. You might want to check that out, netrootsradio.blogspot.com. You can contribute to the podcast at our website through our PayPal button, or you can mail us a letter and a contribution or a contribution at our P.O. Box. And we particularly want to thank the person who mailed us untraceable cash this week. 
Love that. <laughs> and put as a return address, David Brooks Hell. <laughs> I have no idea who this person is, but it, yeah, he understands the Chicago way by really putting, do understand, putting yeah. a few bucks in a white envelope and just sealing it up and putting David Brooks Hell in the return mm. address. You, 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 you miss the part where you say, here you go, Alderman. But yeah. other than that, it was like being back home in Chicago. Ah, here you go, Alderman. It's my insurance payment. Mm-hmm. Here you go. You, Thanks you a lot. That. Yeah, mm-hmm. the bears. Thank you. Mm-hmm. God love you. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> Our P.O. Box is P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791. And all of that information is at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com. And our email address, if you'd like to email us, is proleftpodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you any way you want to write to us. We love it. Every week, we post to our website and Facebook page an Internet Kitty If you would like to send us a picture of your Internet Kitty, uh, do so with a subject line Internet Kitty to our email address, proleftpodcast at gmail.com. This week's Internet Kitty is named Bob. Hey, Bob. Hey, Bob. And Bob is appearing with a canine pal named Maya, who is many, many times larger than Bob, but Bob doesn't seem to mind that. And Bob seems like a very friendly kitty, as orange cats are like to be. Well, and I had an orange cat named Bob, so... Did you really? I did. Many, many years ago. Many, many lifetimes ago, I had a lovely orange cat named Bob. Was Bob a friendly cat? Cause Bob they was usually a great cat. Are. Orange was a cats gentleman. are usually very, very happy, friendly cats. Yeah. An old-fashioned gentleman of a cat, my Bob was. There you go. Well, this mm-hmm. is this is another Bob, but yeah, they, they tend to be wonderful, and he is our internet kitty this week. Please feel free to write us about anything that's on your mind. We Again, we just love hearing from you. Be aware that if you write us at either our snail mail or email address, we reserve the right to read your letter on the air unless you say otherwise. So, Driftglass, how are the Internet Kitties doing this week? Well, the Internet Kitties are still waiting for their Presidential Medals of Freedom. Bob Dylan. Let's think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the bopping and the loving, loving, loving. Let's forget about the whining and the crying, the shooting and the dying, and the fellow with a switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. This podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license, copyright 2012, Drift Class Blue Gal Podcast. Those presidential medals of freedom are blown in the wind.